Good morning. It's time for your Friday edition of Finger Lakes Today, presented by DeSanto Propane. I'm Josh Durso. And I'm Nate Sharman. Coming up, we're talking with two people from the Mueller Field Station at the south end of Honey Eye Lake. And we're also going to talk about our favorite Sabres jerseys of all times, along with our NFL, AFC, NFC conference preview. But first, before we get to that, we need to take a look at this weekend forecast. Josh, what do we have? We might see the sun. Wow, that's breaking news. This afternoon, Friday, Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon, there is an hmm. outside, albeit slim chance, that we see some sun, breaks of sun. Wow. But it's going to be mostly cloudy, so don't get too excited. Uh, breezy today, mostly cloudy. Like I said, high of 35, low 29 uh, tonight. Saturday, we're looking at mostly cloudy skies, still breezy. Like I said, maybe a break of sun during the afternoon. Snow showers in the morning, high of 37, low around 30. Uh, Sunday, a little bit of unknown here. High temperature is going to be closer to 40 than it is freezing, but there is going to be a system moving through, so that means there is going to be precipitation, uh, snow, rain, sleet. It's probably going to be all of the above. High of 39, low of 25. Uh, next week, things really start to look more like winter. We aren't going to see so much in the snow category, but uh, it's going to be much colder. Lows or highs in the low 20s. A uh, couple days, we're going to struggle to get out of the teens. Overnight lows are going to be around 10, 12 degrees. So January, February, it's going to feel like January, February next week. And since it's the end of January, I guess it's, you know, we're due. Winter is wintering, <laughs> huh, Josh? Yeah, finally. Winter is going to try to winter. For more weather news or the latest <laughs> forecast information, check out the FingerLakes1.com weather center. So now let's take a look at today's top local headlines. This morning, Josh, when I saw the uh, FingerLakes1 newsletter, along with our homepage over at FingerLakes1.com, I saw we were talking about the 2024 Senate seat, and uh, Lee Zeldin is going to be challenging Christian Gillibrand uh, for that seat. Uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, so uh, Senator Gillibrand's campaign team is bracing for uh, a potential challenge in Lee Zeldin, according to new reports that surfaced in Albany this week. Uh, the Long Island Republican ran for governor last fall, and while he was unsuccessful, uh, his campaign overall was viewed as a success in terms of creating a competitive race. Uh, he ran a campaign that saw a good Republican turnout, especially upstate, uh, and while it's very early for Kirsten Gillibrand's uh, seat and that race, uh, obviously, uh, Zeldin, when you think about candidates that could potentially win in that 2024 uh, contest, he's on that short list for Republicans. So that's where that sits. Do you think that uh, Lee Zeldin could could take down Kristen Gillibrand? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, it, you know, it's it's a math problem, right? For Republicans in any statewide election, it's always a math problem. The problem is constantly there aren't enough republicans to out uh, outnumber democratic voters um 2022 was a little bit of a unique year because it was a midterm year and obviously democrats weren't as motivated 2024 they're going to be pretty motivated there's going to be that big white house on the ballot right so um it will be a completely different animal in that regard and i think you'll see better uh turnout from democrats in 24 in which case um, it almost shuts down the possibility of a Republican winning a statewide race like that. But I think it's interesting um, that, you know, Senator Gillibrand's campaign team is already starting to talk about it and view him as a potential challenge, legitimate challenge to her seat because, you know, it, it shows how competitive he was last year and how you know democrats need to take him seriously as he goes forward 
Wow. Okay, that's interesting. It's it's so crazy to me. You know, we just felt like we just had a presidential election, and now we got one around the corner. We're in twenty twenty three. Never stops. Yeah, just constantly going. Let's go over and talk about the town of Victor. Um, why is the why is the town going to court over the vacant Lord and Taylor store? So officials in Victor want to condemn and repurpose the sprawling ninety thousand square foot spot at Eastview Mall wow. uh, that once housed Lord and Taylor. It's empty and obviously not generating any sales tax revenue, which is why Victor wants to take the property through eminent domain. Uh, Wilmerite, who owns uh, Eastview Mall, uh, says it's doing everything it can to fill it. Uh, last month, the court ruled that the town didn't have su a sufficient plan to get the space. Uh, taken on its side so they were denied now they are going through the appeals process so they will appeal it one time and uh, town officials say if they lose that they won't try anymore but this is uh, something that the town is really interested in because uh, in terms of sales revenue for uh, the town of victor House of Sport, so Dick Sporting, right. that's House of Sport, uh, and then the other anchors that are at Eastview generate between 40 and $50 million a year, wow. um, which means the, the town winds up seeing, you know, 4 or $5 million in its budget because of that. Um, and with this space empty now for a few years, frustration is starting to build at the town level that um, perhaps folks at Eastview Mall or, or folks at Wilmerite aren't doing enough to get it refilled. So... You know, if the town of Victor is able to grab that that space, what do you think they could possibly do with it? So here's where this gets interesting. Um, the town is contending on one hand that they're losing out on sales tax revenue. They're losing out on this potential money. And this is why they need to go through this uh, eminent domain process or why they want to take it from the mall and Wilmerite. But their plan, as far as what we know right now, is to create some community space, hmm. which in theory wouldn't generate any any right. tax revenue. So, you know, what exactly are you doing? Um, you know, I, I think it speaks more to, the, I don't think the town is going to be successful in getting it back. I don't think vaguely saying, you know, we wanna create a space for seniors to walk or create community space like a community center. Um, I don't think that's enough to, to make the court change their mind mm -hmm. about how they go forward. Uh, will it push Wilmerite to get the space, work harder to get the space filled? You know, I feel like it's a little disingenuous to think that they don't want it filled. Obviously, it's in their best interest to fill it, especially if the other anchor spots are, are generating 40 to $50 million in sales a year. So, you know, what's going on here? It seems a little petty that the town of Victor is trying to go this route to get it filled. You know, just acknowledge the fact that Retail is not what it was, you know, a few years back or, you know, before the pandemic or much less what it was 10 or 20 years ago. So filling these gigantic spaces, 90,000 square feet, that's a huge space. Right. Filling those spaces is, is really, really hard. Right. So it's just not, I don't think it's a, it's, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. And I think at the end of the day, Victor's going to have to work with Eastview Mall uh, on a plan to get it filled. Maybe it is something other than just straight up retail space, but I don't think going this route is the way to make that happen. So. Yeah, props to uh, Dick Sporting Goods for filling that huge vacant space in Eastview Mall. That really helped revitalize that mall, in my opinion. Uh, we, we spoke with an Eastview Mall representative uh, not too long ago here on the show, and they're just thrilled to have them there. So props to DSG. Yeah, and it's tough because obviously uh, retail shopping malls are not what they were 
even just in makeup in terms right. of like what stores you see inside of them. They aren't what they were 20 years ago. So obviously this gave it a shot of life. And I think if something else could potentially go into that Lord and Taylor spot, it could, you know, give uh, Eastview Mall, which by the way is the healthiest of oh, all sure. the malls between Rochester and Syracuse, of course. Um, it could give it another shot of life, but it's, it's a, It'll be an interesting one to watch. We should know in the next few weeks how that's going to pan out. Uh, but it's time to take out, uh, to check out one of the coolest spots in the Finger Lakes. Located near the southern end of Honeyway Lake, the Mueller Field Station is run by Finger Lakes Community College and provides field-based education for academic programs, laboratory experiences, community outreach, and more. Uh, this week, Rebecca Swift caught up with two members of the Mueller team. Check that out. Where are you ladies sitting right now? Um, we're sitting at Mueller Field Station, which is owned by Finger Lakes Community College, and it's located at the, um, at the south end of Honeyway Lake. And so tell us a little bit about what you do on the day-to-day. -day. Like, what are your jobs? Um, we do a lot with K-12 through um, education. So a lot of the area public schools will bring groups of students here for field trips. So we might get something like a... Um, a fifth grade like living environment class or like ninth grade AP biology and we usually take the students canoeing and then do other um, programming like macroinvertebrate um, sampling talk about water quality so it's basically kind of like place-based learning where the students will come and um, we'll kind of meet the requirements of whatever class it is that they're um, that they're in, but we talk a lot about like biodiversity and kind of just different aspects of, um, of the environment. So how did you two, I guess you can answer one at a time, come to be in this position? Is this something that you're both like really passionate about and that you love doing every day? And like, how did you come to be in these roles and why? So I guess to start, we're both Finger Lakes Community College alumni. Um, so networking played a really large role in the positions that we have today. Um, so we went through the conservation department. We, we both got degrees in that department. Um, I got mine in natural resources, conservation, law enforcement, and then you were environmental science. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I mean, I've always grown up uh, loving nature, being outside, and always wanting to share that passion with with other people. So. Yeah. And yeah, so similar start to our education at FLCC. Um, I have a, a undergraduate degree in wildlife management and then a master's degree in sustainable natural resource management. And so I did a lot of different field work with um, really in wildlife management. And then I kind of moved back to this area. This is kind of where I'm from. And this job was available. And I just thought it'd be really cool to come back to where I started everything. <laughs> Absolutely. And so tell us a little bit about this property, this place where you are. Like, what is it? Yeah, so well, there, there's a lot. I don't know how much to say. So <laughs> um, this property was donated about 22 or 23 years ago to Finger Lakes Community College. It was originally owned by Emil and Florence Mueller. Um, this was their, like, summer chalet. Uh, they... They came here to enjoy the Southern Honeyway Valley. Um, but once FLCC acquired it, it became this research and education center. 
So not only do K through 12 students come here for field trips, we also have conservation students from FLCC come down here to take classes. We have a lot of community events. Um, it's really used in a diverse way. So lots of different audiences come down here. Uh, this is a, we're adjacent to a silver maple ash swamp. So this wetland is really like the highlight of this place. So that's what we explore. That's what we introduce people to. And I'm going to stop there. I think. <laughs> well, we'll get, we'll delve more into it here in a minute. Okay. So that's perfect yeah. time, but we're, we're going to talk more about it. So go ahead. Uh, it is kind of cool because as Allie had mentioned, this was, this was someone's home. So when it was originally donated to FLCC, it was still very much looked like a house. And now, um, as you can see behind us, it's kind of, at least the downstairs kind of morphed more into like a classroom atmosphere. So that set us up really well to hold all of the things here that we host. And then upstairs, there's kind of like a conference room. Um, and that was kind of more like their kitchen and their living room area. So it has like a really cool, because it was built in the late 1960s, it's got like a really cool like 70s vibe up there. And they've still retained some of those features, which I think is really cool. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so um, some of the things that you have going on, I mean, it looks like a lot of programs. I mean, some of these pictures are from winter, some of them are from summer. Um, I guess let's start with what is happening right now. Like what have what have you been up to? You want to start and then I'll yeah. Winter um, is a little bit of a slower period, but we are trying to bring in more people to really enjoy this space in the winter because there's a lot of awesome stuff you can still do outside in the winter. So this weekend we have a um, a four H club coming and we're going to go outside and learn about animal tracks and sign in the winter. That's a great time to learn about that. Um, and then uh, we've brought in a couple different workshops and stuff that um, that you can kind of talk about. Yeah. So um, as of yeah, last weekend, we had a nature appreciation and journal um, workshop, writing workshop. That was really that was really cool. We also have this uh, meeting yourself in silence retreat, and that's a mindfulness retreat that happens here. So we are trying to bring in more mindfulness events. I don't really know what to like capture that as, but it's like yoga based. It's um, I don't know. Yeah, mindfulness is the way that I best describe that. I mean, listen, I love it because <laughs> I've, I've tried the um, tried to do yoga so many times and just fail like epically fell I'm one of those people that has like a hard time I'm just like sitting yeah and clearing my mind I think I've gotten a lot better at it but I think that those kinds of events are so cool and you know the people have the option to come and work on that that's seems like it's a really um this first of all how big how many acres is the property and what I was going to say was um it seems like there's so many different it's like a multi multi-purpose yeah land right yeah that's what it's that's what it's turning into um over the past honestly over the past couple of years we've really introduced different disciplines to this place to this space so it's 48 acres and wow. it just yeah there's just the ability to host such a wide range of things like gardening workshops um like we have kayaks and canoes there's yoga that we can do under the pavilion so 
And then the indoor space is great for meetings and business retreats, whatever it is. So we're just trying to diversify um, and bring as many people here as possible. So, And so talking a little bit about um, the yoga classes, it looks like those are outside more in the summer probably. But yeah. can you talk to us about, like I'm looking at, it looks like almost like a pavilion that they mm -hmm. do it under. Um, is that something that is open to the public or how does that work? That's a great question. So we're, <laughs> we're not technically open to the public. Um, it's really an invite only basis. We do have these community offerings and, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to come here, but you have to like come for an event mm -hmm. or for a field trip. So you can't just show up to the field station and start walking around. Why is that? I have had that same question. I don't know. <laughs> so part of the property, um, most of the property actually is under an easement, a conservation easement with the Nature Conservancy. Gotcha. So I okay. don't know if being open to the public goes against that at all. But honestly, we just don't, like a lot of people, I think who have never been here might think that we're like a nature center where we're right. open like nine to four, Monday through Friday. And that's kind of not quite the case and it's just never really operated like that and i think a lot of it is there's never really been the staff for that as well sure sure once you invite the public then you have to maintain it you know with making sure that there's not garbage on the property and this right. is that. so it's really meant to kind of be operating as just like a almost like a little nature preserve i guess yeah fair so we're not open to the public, but if we have an event and we want you to come, then please come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So how do people find out, like, how does one go about getting an invite or finding out about events? Um, there's a there's a few different ways that we spread the word. So Facebook, we have FLCC Mueller Field Station Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. Um, we have almost up and running a new flcc.edu Mueller Field Station webpage, which is revamped. So that's going to be great because a lot of people don't have the social media accounts and we're learning like, you know, that's not fair to just post there. Um, we also have a monthly newsletter and yeah um and then just oh, kind of news. yeah just kind of in the the college network the college community we also have some we'll we'll distribute information through like the the employee newsletter there is um a newsletter that goes out to because we work a lot with gemini teachers in public school districts we'll pump information out to them so we've got a couple different platforms where we try to get that information out to people yeah i love it i actually just followed you guys on instagram so oh, cool. <laughs> now i'm following you know i feel like I'm up, to, I'm up to date on it um so talking a little bit about um the it looks like kayaking and canoeing it looks really really fun and really pretty um how how does that work do, do you have to like if someone's invited do they have to bring their own kayak or do you have kayaks or what what does that look like on a day when you go out and hit the waterways um so we have approximately like 12 canoes and then we have about eight or so kayaks and so they're available for people to use you don't have to bring your own but if people want to bring their own they're certainly welcome to and people do take us up on that offer yeah. too so um typically we have paddles channel community channel paddles that's what we call them 
um, and they're scheduled for spring, summer, and fall. And there are a limited number of participants participants that are allowed to sign up for each paddle. Mm -hmm. We try to keep it nice and small, just sure. because it's, it's more meaningful that way. You can see more yeah. and talk to the group. Yeah, and just for safety reasons too, I think we wanna make sure that we get, keep everybody together and kinda are able to even just chat and have some nice conversation while we're out on the water. And then there's some really great, just natural things happening out there as well. I think a lot of people really gravitate, like if you're coming, you're you probably think it's fun to be out in the water, but then a lot of people like to learn about the ecology of what's happening. So we do have beavers and river otter, all sorts of cool birds. So if it's a smaller group, it's a lot easier to stick together so that we can also talk about those elements while we're out there, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that kind of transitions perfectly into my next question. Um, I was going to ask about the wildlife. Uh, you've got a lot of, a lot of birds, a lot of reptiles. I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's a diverse ecosystem, right, happening. You talk about some of the cool, um, cool insects or animals or reptiles that you've spotted while you've been there. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of trail cameras out on the property. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it's just basically an outdoor, a little outdoor camera that operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as long as there's batteries in it. Um, and so those are kind of staged throughout the property. And that's a lot of how we do a really passive wildlife observation. Um, so there's things on the property that I've never seen with my own eyes, but we know they're <laughs> there because of these um, forms of observation. So we have black bear, we have bobcat, we have coyotes, fox, we have fisher, um, definitely a couple different species of turtle. We got snapping turtles, peanut turtles, um, and then tons of birds. Uh, we actually do um, something called Project Feeder Watch throughout November and April, where we're doing bird observation at like our bird feeders. Um, so that kind of allows us to get a little bit of a species diversity. Not all birds are, are bird feeder birds, but um, you know, we've got your standard, we'll see bald eagles, blue heron, um, and then of course, the, the beaver and the river otter. So we've seen beaver here. I've seen them with my own two eyes, but the river otter, I've only seen the pictures on the cameras of them. Yeah. Oh my God. Otters are so adorable. They yeah. really are. They're yeah. so cute. The babies, they're always like, eh. yeah. <laughs> they make these tiny little noises when you yeah. see them like being rehabilitated. Um, circling back around, you went real quick over uh, black bears and um, bobcats. Say what? Yeah. That's really so like, when, how, and what, where, <laughs> you know what I mean? So what's cool is we, we get pictures of them on these trail cameras, like Chelsea yes. mentioned, but we also see their tracks. So for example, I was here last week, there was like a teeny little snowfall, but there was enough for like really good tracking. Mm, yes. And all on the dock, like right where our canoe canoes are. I have pictures I can show you later. Mm -hmm. um, but there were bobcat tracks. So cool. so that's just another way that we know that these animals are here. And it's really fascinating and exciting. It so. is. It I mean, so for a couple of reasons, personally, with the bobcats, exciting. I uh, it was my I went to Ohio University for journalism and it was our mascot. Oh, cool. Oh. So bobcats, are they like a little like, do they have an attitude like they're a little nasty <laughs> or not? I don't think so i mean they're definitely they're they're actually more elusive like yeah part of the reason why we never see them is i think that for one i don't think they're just roaming around out on the day too 
they're not roaming around during the day too frequently, but I think they're just like, they hear you before you would ever see them. So they're just, they're out of there. They want they're nothing like, to do Yeah. Yep. So I'd like to think that they're just a, a friendly little wild cat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a really nice way to look at that because I, when I think of a bobcat, I think of a big version of my house cat who is right. a animal. And oh my gosh, I wouldn't yeah. want him to be any bigger than he is. Yeah. I picture bobcats being like, like yeah. nasty. I don't know why, but that is so cool that you yeah, saw yeah. the tracks and you I were guess able let's, Yeah, respect their space, definitely. Like, I wouldn't try to approach one, but. No. For- yeah, I don't even think you can get that close to them. I think unless there's maybe something wrong with them, like they're having they're sick or or hurt or something like that. I think in most cases, when they are aware that you're around, they're just out of there. They're not. They're <laughs> smelling you and they're hightailing yeah. it. They're literally probably hightailing it out of right. there. Totally. Um, so now the black bear. So um, I forget who told me, but because I don't know much about bears, but I think someone told me once that like something about different colors of bears and it was sort of like a limerick where it was like if it's this color or that if it's but if it's white say good night like if it's a polar bear then it's oh. a really mean bear but if oh, it's a brown if it's a black bear it's like not necessarily a mean bear like am i wrong about that or i think that's a funny a funny, funny. folklore like is that it's folklore, folklore. <laughs> yeah, yeah it could like, be. I- Again, it's going back to the bobcat and is it fierce? Like, is it aggressive? Mm -hmm. It's like, they're just, no matter what, I think if you come near those animals, like they're going to defend their territory. Right. Different, I guess like grizzly bears have a reputation of being really fierce and really territorial where you don't want to get near a grizzly bear. Right. So yeah, black bears can come in different kinds of color phases. So you might find a, a black bear that is more brown or Mm -hmm. there's even like a cinnamon phase of a black bear but black bear is a a completely different species than your grizzly bear which is also sometimes sometimes called a brown bear so that's yeah it's hard yeah with these common names the crossovers (laughs) and the colors and stuff like that yeah but um generally a a a black bear is going to be a little bit more on the tamer side than a grizzly bear and how we get in these situations with kind of maybe negative public or human interaction with these kind of larger animals is a lot of it is just um, sometimes maybe being habituated to an artificial food source might get bad publicity for a black bear. Yeah. So generally though, a wild bear that's not habituated to any sort of artificial food source or looking for something like that is usually just going to mind its own business. I mean, fair enough. Um, Let's talk about, you kind of touched on the classes, which is so cool. I feel like this would be like the one of the coolest places you could go on a field trip. Like, how fun would that be if you were young? You know, um, so talk about. It looks like from based on some of the pictures you sent me that there are people teaching classes. Right, it looks like almost maybe in the room that you're, or a similar room. Talk about some of the classes that take place, and who teaches them. Yeah. And what do they teach? <laughs> okay, so we have um, an ecology lab that comes down here every Friday um, that is taught by Maura Sullivan. She's a professor at Finger Lakes Community College. So that's one of the classes. They do um, a lot of different field work down here, uh, you know, different research. Um, And then there's, we have the, you can, fisheries, I was gonna say, but you can say something. Yeah, yeah, so the, we have a aquatic like research center next door as well. 
that was not originally part of the property that was built by after FLCC took ownership of it. And it's got like a little bit of a fish hatchery over there. So John Faust is our department chair. He's a longtime professor in the department and he teaches the fisheries courses. And so the students will come when walleye are spawning and they will do some work with walleye um, over in the hatchery there. Um, and then we have a couple adjunct instructors that teaches uh, courses that come here as well. Um, I teach wildlife management. My class isn't here a lot, but we will come down here from time to time. And then um, we've got Erin Lord is an adjunct instructor within the department. She teaches field wildlife life techniques. Mm -hmm. So these are things, these are like kind of things that you might use to survey wildlife, kind of really teaching the hands-on portion of wildlife management. And then Shannon, um, she's a technician in the conservation department. Um, she kind of co-teaches field study of birds, which I think also uses this space as well, because we've got a lot of bluebird nesting boxes. Sure. Property. Um, so I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, some other classes come down here as well. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I just, I'm looking at the pictures. It's just such a nice, like, it's so beautiful, this mm -hmm. property, you know? You have to I come did, down here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to, okay. I'm coming. <laughs> I'm going to get invited. I'll come and I'll take some videos. I'm going to see a bobcat for sure. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. I know it's just going to be hanging out waiting <laughs> for me. Um, so I guess... Okay. Well, those are like my inquiries and my questions. I think I've learned a lot about what your mission is, what you're doing. It's so cool. So great that this resource is there for children. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think that, um, like I should have asked you about and I didn't, what are some of the things that you would like to add or talk about that you think is really important about what you're doing? Something comes to mind to me right away. Go for it. Um, that I think is important to mention but I, I don't know how things work with your with your um, your organization. So I want to I want to say that this is um, traditionally Seneca Nation land. That's just in, that's just an important piece that we didn't say in the beginning. Um, so I can actually type something up for you or give no. you a little bit more on that. But Seneca Nation land traditionally. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I again would have no idea. Yeah. And it is a beautiful piece of land. Anything else that you wanted to add? Um, yeah, we also try to do a little bit with kind of broadening our scope um, now past just the public school. We're really trying to reach more diverse um, communities and we're trying to add in some like homeschool groups and stuff like that. So just we just want anyone and everyone and anyone to be able to come down here and enjoy the space, enjoy being in nature. Um, it's a little piece of solitude, and I think that everyone should have access to that. So we're really trying to to really jump into these other different areas of education. I love it. I mean, and definitely, like, I know Lenore is awesome. Like, she'll she'll definitely let me know if there's any news. She's she's really on top of it. But like, if there is anything that jumps up in your mind that like would be cool or interesting that you want to get the word out to people about, you you guys, I think have my I think have my email correct yeah yeah there's one more thing that popped into my mind which go for it we have a monthly um presentation series mm -hmm. called a talk a talk on the wild side and we bring in different presenters from various backgrounds and expertises and they come here and they we have like that space upstairs 
and that's where they give their presentations. Sometimes they can be held outside, but we do have a lot of, we have three or four of them lined up. So we have the, the title of the presentation, what, what's gonna be talked about. So that's something that would be cool if you can kind of share that with your audience. On the other side of the break, we'll be talking about a big sports weekend here coming up, and we'll be also debating the best Sabre jerseys of all time. Stay tuned. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. That's 80 years that DeSanto Propane has been servicing the community. DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business, which is why everyone recommends DeSanto Propane. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years, DeSanto Propane has been heating the community with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com or call toll-free 1-800-752-4000. 574 and like DeSanto Propane on Facebook for more tips and info today. DeSanto is celebrating 80 years and there's never been a better time to switch to propane to fuel your entire house. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. Canandaigua Dentistry offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff. A proud supporter of local veteran organizations, Canandaigua Dentistry offers veteran and senior discounts, as well as an in-house dental membership program for people without insurance. Dr. Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry is committed to providing you with personal, professional care. Whether you are searching for a family dentist or a cosmetic dentist, the Canandaigua Dentistry team promises to go the extra smile for you. Stop by the office located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or call 585-394-5230 to talk with the team today. Visit www.canandaiguadentistry.com to learn more and find them on Facebook and Instagram too. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisricky.com. All right, welcome back to Finger Lakes today. It's time to talk sports, and we've got Jim Sinekropi, uh, Kyle Evans, and of course, Dan Sharman. We're all here, and we're going to be talking about uh, NFL coming up here. We're also going to be talking about the Sabres, but first, we need to talk about high school basketball. 
uh, pretty busy night last night, right? Don't forget about producer Paul Russo. He's here, too. Oh, we will we'll yeah. hear his takes. <laughs> yes, we we'll talk about high school hoops first. Um, last night, a uh, big game in Waterloo. Thought it was going to be a little bit closer than what it was. Paul Mack, 62. Waterloo, 32. Uh, boys In boys basketball, Ian Goodness with a game high, 29 points. He's been incredible for the Red Leaders lately. Been scoring at will. Just scored 1,000 points. And uh, had another uh, one point away from a, from a 30-point night last night. So a big, huge win for Paul Mack. But guys, I did not expect it to be a 30-point game last night in Waterloo. Uh, Waterloo did beat them earlier in the year. I expected Paul Mack to win, but I don't think by this many. Yeah, I think it's time to panic in Waterloo. Uh, their story was too good to be true. Um, they've lost like four in a row. They're not scoring as many points. Uh, they're just they're not playing good basketball, and I I just don't think they're as good as we all thought at one point. That Paul Mack defense is incredible. I mean, what they hold Paul Geneva under 40 right in that one game, and now they've held uh, Waterloo to 32 last night. So they play a little bit different of a zone, right? So that's like almost like a 3-2, right, they Paul? They play 3-2 yep. a lot, which is kind of different. Um, but, yeah, it's looking like the East is going to come down to Paul Mack and Wayne now. Wayne's also been playing great. They won again last yep, night. Yep, they won again. They beat Whitman. Uh, they moved to 12-3. and So Paul Mack's 11-4, Wayne's 12-3. and So, yep, right up in the top on uh, the FL East. We'll talk about that a little bit more on Monday. We'll say maybe we can start talking about. I don't know if clinching is a little bit too early to talk about that in, in yeah, some regards, but we're two weeks out. Yeah, we can look at paths that the teams have to kind of yeah. to go through. Um, one game that I looked that I saw tonight in the boys' slate: uh, Red Creek's playing ER. Uh, both of those that Red Creek team has been playing well. Um, not maybe not necessarily getting wins, but uh, against Lions, I thought they played real well. Thirteen-point game. Same with ER. Um, they played Lions pretty tight last week too. So that'll be an interesting game kind of for a second place in Wayne County. Yep, Red Creek is emergent, um, coming from nowhere, really, to put together a nice season. They're a mm-hmm. winning basketball team. Yep. And uh, tonight will be a big one for them. And we'll hop over to the girls' side, the Dundee Bradford Brave Scots. They beat Marcus Whitman as uh, they keep their winning ways going over there. And uh, Miners also beat Newark. Uh, the Blue Devils now go to 9-5 and five on the season. Uh, the girls over at Miners having a good year. They've been playing good basketball as of late. Um, good to see them playing well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, the, the record's good. They they got to keep getting better towards sectionals. I don't think that they're or Coach Verkey's particularly happy with uh, some of their losses this year. Right, a lot of but, some, some close games though too, even in those losses. Yeah, I just uh, the question is when they get into B two sectionals, are they going to be able to make a run? I mean, they certainly on paper should. So right. um, nice to see them get a win against Newark, but again, that's a team that they should handle. Uh, and they did. Um, so time will tell, right? Right. And an absolutely huge game tonight in the Finger Lakes East for, for the girls. Uh, 12-0 Waterloo going to Paul Mack. was 11-2 on the season. They played tight earlier in the year. Waterloo came out with a victory. Uh, Paul will be there with the Paul Mack students on the call on the Paul Mack Athletics YouTube channel as well as on FingerLakes1.com radio. So, uh, Paul, that should be a great matchup tonight. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, I mean um – Obviously, it's been overall late week, right, midterm week and stuff like that for the students. But um, I'm imagining that Palmax had this thing circled for a while. Mm-hmm. I think it might be a little bit closer than what the final score was the first time around. Um, I'd probably lean still, guess, you know, Waterloo would probably come out victorious there. Don't think Waterloo uh, doesn't have it circled, too. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I've you know, not to, I guess, take away from that per se. But, yeah, I mean, it. It, this is, uh, I, I'd say, probably the the keystone game really remaining probably within the in-league schedule for the girls' side on the Finger Lakes East. So, mm-hmm. Kyle Evans predicted Pell Mac wins. 
Yes, uh, in overtime. That was a bold prediction of the week. Uh, I'm going to stick to it. Pelmac won last night. They're, uh, I think, 11-2 and now. They've been playing well. I know Waterloo is just on another level, but I think they get it done in, in, at, at home in their home gymnasium. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, Waterloo is due for to stumble, right? It's yep. been a couple of years. So game of, the, game of the year in high, girls' high school hoops as far as uh, the Finger Lakes East is concerned. Yeah, I'm sure Waterloo can pretty much clinch that at Finger Lakes East, right, I would say, with a win tonight. Probably, yes, 100%. I would say, yeah. Um, if not mathematically, at least, you know, right. logistically, it would be, you know, they would need to, <laughs> if they beat Palmac twice and Palmac's a second-place team, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, YouTube tonight, uh, you can get the link on Finger Lakes 1, but if you don't have any plans, want to watch a good basketball game, uh, tune in to Paul and uh, the Palmac students who put the production on, and you'll, you'll have a good night. What time, 7.30? Yeah, they do a great job over there in Palmac, so be looking forward to uh, watching that. All right, let's get to our NFL predictions. That's something we've been talking about a lot here on this show this week, uh, big conference games this weekend. We'll start with the early game, the 49ers and the Eagles, as they visit Philadelphia. Kyle, let's hear your prediction first, and let's hear you talk about it. That's a game that I really think is a toss-up, um, but I am, I am, I, I wouldn't bet the 49ers just because Brock Purdy, you know, like he, he's undefeated, but eventually, I, I just think that the story is going to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eagles' defense is really, really good. I mean, we saw them completely shut down the Giants. Um, the Giants rolled past the Vikings. Um, and their offense was kind of heating up at the end, and they just made them look like their offense wasn't good. Um, so, you know how it says good defense? The 49ers. Yeah, I mean, their defense definitely could get them a win. but I think they're two best defenses in the NFL. I think the Eagles think so, just yeah. do a little more to get the win, so I'm taking the Eagles. Um, with the points, minus two and a half? Two and a half, right, yeah. I mean, this is a betting preview here, right? Yep. Yep. So, I'll, yep. What are you, so you're, I'll, I'll take the Eagles. Goal. Money line? I'll take the Eagles by three. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, I've had really tough time with all these games this week and uh, two games. Um, I was really confident in the divisional round, and I nailed all four of them. Got lucky with Jacksonville getting a late field goal to cover. Um, San Francisco game against Dallas was a little closer than I thought. But it, at the end of the day, so having such much success last week, it makes me a little nervous this week, you know, because nobody wins them all, right? So if I'm running a four-game streak – um, and another thing for me going into this weekend is I have a futures bet on the Bengals. I bet forty dollars before the playoffs started on the Bengals plus eight fifty, so that pays three eighty. So, um, wanting that to come in or questioning if I should hedge it right. by going with KC, um, it's really got me flustered this week. So I, I'm not coming into this betting preview segment with as much confidence as I was last week, but. We're starting with Philadelphia and San Francisco. Um, all I hear is that, oh, Purdy's a rookie. You know, he's this is a big stage. He, this is where the road ends. And that might be true, but guess who? Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy both are 1-0 in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Jalen Hurts doesn't have any more playoff experience, and he certainly hasn't been in. Well, Brock Purdy has more. He's played. Yeah, he's played actually played one more game, yep. and neither of them have obviously played an AFC championship game. But let me instead, obviously, Jalen Hurts is better than Brock Purdy um, on almost every level, right? Mm-hmm. 
And if you look last week, Brock Purdy really didn't do a whole lot. Their defense won him the game. It was clearly obvious. Yeah. He had just over uh, like 140 passing yards, no passing touchdowns. I mean, he was kind of just out there. I mean, they didn't really. He Kyle didn't really Shanahan, though, kind of by design against right. that Dallas defense, I think what didn't want to put Purdy in a position where he could make mistakes. And when you got um, McCaffrey, you know, you don't really yeah, need right. to throw a, a whole lot. <laughs> so, so that's also holds true, you know, you got two best defenses two of the best defenses in the 49ers and the Eagles, but another great defense was Dallas. So I don't know if this Philadelphia defense is that much better than the Dallas defense. That San, but San Francisco did struggle a bit to get that win against Dallas, and if Dak Prescott wasn't so terrible, you know, Dallas might have won. So that gave me a little pause because several months ago, well, let's say around uh, mid-November, I said to myself, you know, the it's going to be Bengals 49ers. Those are the best two teams in each conference. By the eye test, sometimes you got to see the forest through the trees, right? And um, I haven't questioned that until this week, and now I'm questioning it on both sides. I'm a little more confident still in the Bengals, but I do think that this might be the uh, end of the road for San Francisco. I think that they could ram it down their throats with McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. Both, both of them are not 100% healthy, which is a concern because they're going to need to run the ball uh, to win the game for sure. So um, one other interesting side note, Purdy and Hertz face each other. Purdy at Iowa State and Hertz at Oklahoma in 2019. Uh, it was uh, one of the bowl games. I can't remember the bowl game, but Oklahoma won 42-41. They were 14-point favorites. Um, not that that matters to this week, but it's kind of interesting. And uh, Kyle Shanahan in the last 20 years is 7-1 and one against the spread in the playoffs. Just another making thing. A, to, making a big case for San Francisco over there. Well, I want to <laughs> bet San Francisco, but when it comes right down to it, here's my play. I got Philadelphia on the money line and, and, and under – uh, 51 and a half. So the, the over under is 46 and a half, but I'm teasing it up to 51 and a half. I think it's going under. I just want a little cushion. And so Philadelphia wins under 51 and a half. Parlayed is plus 160. So basically, um, you know, double or one and a half times your money. Um, and I also might just go straight up on the under. But there's some player props. I think that, that in, in trying to figure out who's going to win this game, I did find some value in some player props. I like Hertz over one half interception. That's basically Ooh. even money. Um, I think the defense is too good. I think you know Hertz. While Purdy might be protected by Kyle Shanahan, I don't think that they're gonna. Hertz is gonna be out there winging it. And I think he's gonna run a lot, to be honest. Yep, and that's my second uh, player prop. I got him over forty and a half rushing yards. Um, he averages fifty three point four rushing yards this season. I also got a player prop, uh, longest rush over 13 and a half. And I think that with the pressure from like Armstead and Bosa, that he's going to get flushed out of that pocket and he's going to take off. And he is the best running quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. He brought me to the my fantasy football championship game this this year. Justin um, Fields might be hurt. up there. Justin Fields from Chicago is pretty good at Yeah, you're ball. probably right. Fields obviously doesn't throw as well as Hurts, um, so maybe he gets overlooked, but he can obviously run just as good as, as Hurts um, or maybe better. But um, So I do agree with you there. I like Hurts on the ground. I like uh, Kenneth Gainwell over 23.5 uh, 
All-purpose yards is a player prop. I like A.J. Brown, longest reception, 26.5 yards at minus 110. And I got Christian McCaffrey over 57.5 rushing yards, minus 115. So, um, again, not confident in that Philly's going to win, but I think they are. I think it's going to be low scoring. And so I also got some of these player props. So what about you, uh, Paul? Who do you like? I guess uh, I'll take a quote from, you know, Stanford Stephen the Bear. The underdog is howling for me. I'm I'm rolling 49ers. I, I picked them at the beginning of the year. So as I, I've, I've alluded to all week, I just you gotta stick with, you know, if your pick is still alive, in my opinion, you got to roll with them still. So um, I'll, I'm rolling 49ers. I, you know, I do agree, I think. Maybe offensively, you do have to give the edge to the Eagles, but uh, to me, defensively, there was just something about that San Francisco defense all year, and really, since the jump, that to me has been really spectacular. Obviously, it's no disrespect to Philly's defense; they're probably, really, to be fair, statistically, they're the better. Best, they're the number one defense in to- um, yards per game compared to San Francisco. I think it's fourth in the league in yards per game. Depending on what metric you want to I mean, choose to measure defenses, um, there's also some other facts here. San Francisco on the year uh, has 20 interceptions, 10 fumbles. That's 30 takeaways. Philadelphia has 17 interceptions, 10 fumbles. That's um, tw- three less than San Francisco. Um, they've both given the ball away on offense 19 times. It's really an even matchup. San Francisco's on a 12-game winning streak. They last lost against Kansas City back on October 23rd. Um, And, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo and Jeff Wilson was the uh, quarterback-running back combo back there. So a lot's changed, right? A whole different team. (laughs) Um, Since getting McCaffrey in Week 8, they're 12-0 and 10-2 against the spread. So... I don't know. I, I uh, the one of the final determining factors for me was the fact that San Francisco is coming all the way to the East Coast. That he, I'm sure they got there in plenty of times, so jet jet lag's not a factor. But they struggled to put away Dak Prescott in Dallas at home, and it's going to be a different story this week. I, that's why I got the Eagles. And they're due for a loss. Like you said, they haven't lost since October, what, 23rd? Just like the Waterloo girls. Yeah. <laughs> defense so. fails first in big games. Or defense doesn't show up first in big games. I'd take the over. I'm going to take the over on 46.5. And, and I said it yesterday in Fresh Takes. 49ers are going to win. It's going to be my more than one more than one touchdown. More than it's one not touchdown. Gonna be that close. Holy man. You should take some winning winning margin props then on it's not, the I old mean, green book. And there's, I, it absolutely drives me crazy when there's – I mean, these are basically like non-margins in these games. We're going to talk about the, the Bengals-Chiefs in a second. I mean, it's what we're seeing now is absolutely silly. Money line has disappeared. Everybody's waiting to find out what's going to happen to right. Patrick Mahomes. Yep. He's on one leg. Newsflash, people. He's on one singular leg. He's going to be a pocket quarterback. So we finally get to see. Is he, good, is he a good pocket quarterback yes or no he's no it's not not compared to this Bengals team Joe Burrow ride that all the way well wait a second back to Philadelphia first here um more you think they're going to win by more than one score in Philadelphia yeah I think the final is going to be something like what did I say yesterday Paul 37 20 
eight or 37, 24, yeah, something along those lines. 38. I, I don't think it's going to be that close. 37. See, I, I like the under just because, like I say, Kyle Shanahan's not going to unleash Brock Purdy, <laughs> so they're going to be a running attack. They're going to chew up some clock. Um, and on the other side of the ball, I think that San Francisco on defense is going to be bend but not break, try not to get – Burnt long by A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith in um, in Philadelphia has a good running game too. And I, but I think the overall difference in terms of wins and losses is going to be Jalen Hurts' ability to create on his own. Uh, but but that's why they play the games. Nate, I got the Eagles. I think uh, the Eagles are going to do a great job in kind of heating up Brock Purdy, making him feel uncomfortable. They got a great front seven. Uh, try to make Brock Purdy make mistakes. And I think they'll be able to do that on Sunday. Uh, Nick Sirianni's been a great coach all year for the Eagles. So I, I think they do kind of find, finally make Brock Purdy win the game. And we haven't had to do that. He hasn't had to do that at all. Right. So I think that was going to be the falter, you know, kind of getting a guy that's mystery relevant in that huge spot, having to lead a team. And I think the Eagles are going to prevail. Three Eagles, two Niners. Not, so much, not much faith in a guy who hasn't, hasn't had a flaw yet. Well, not I'm just, a lot no, of, and it, yeah. that seems to be the consensus. It's like not a lot of faith in a guy who's literally just not made any major mistakes. For I me, it's faith, not the faith. faith. Like, I've had faith with him until this week. I just think it's a. It, this at some point, you know, Brock Purdy's not going to go 500 and 0 in his NFL career. He's going right. to lose a game sooner or later, and this seems like the spot. And, um, and nothing against Purdy, but like I say, uh, he is in a system where he is able to get the job done in a lot of ways like Phil Simms used to for the Giants back in the day for right. all you uh, senior citizens out there. they got to make – I think the Eagles' path to victory, they have to make Brock Purdy try to win the game. And that, and that could go one of two ways, right? I mean, they could they, – Brock Purdy could do it and, and win another one, but I think if they make if him defense, try to be the focal point. If defense isn't as big a factor, does it change how you feel about the outcome of the game at all, Jim? I just don't see how defense can't be a factor because, like I say, they're two of the best defenses in the NFL. Um, and I remember, a lot of people saying that when the Bills played the Chiefs last in the playoffs, and seem to remember that just turning into an oh, absolute yeah, score a... fest. Well, the Chiefs no never defense. have had the best defense in any in the NFL, so I, I don't. Yeah, this is definitely the best defense Brock Purdy has faced, and and Dale, But again, I when I started thinking that. Um, leaning towards San Francisco because I think Dallas's defense is on par with Philadelphia's defense and it's it worked out. Uh, but, you know, if Dak Prescott wasn't so terrible, San Francisco might have lost last week. Yeah. But I don't know. It's 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 like I said, these have been tough. These have been tough. All right, so we got one more game on Sunday, the AFC Championship, the Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> taking on the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. 6:40 Eastern time start. I'm going to go right with my pick right away. I, I got the Chiefs. I, I really think Mahomes finally gets his revenge on Joe Burrow. He's never beaten Burrow. Burrow's 3-0 against him. They've all been field goal games. So I expect this one to be close. Um, like you mentioned, it's going to be tough for, for or, uh, Patrick to be that mobile quarterback that he is, being able to move the pocket and kind of create throws. But I think he'll be healthy enough to do that, to where he needs to go. And when in doubt, he's just going to throw it to Travis Kelsey, in my opinion. You know, I haven't had a chance to look at player props for him yet. But I mean, he had what fifteen their catches last week. Their lives are not good. Probably over eight and a half is probably his line, if I had to guess. And he just he's, he's able to kind of find soft spots in the zone, just get open and, and run and be athletic. So I think Kelsey will have a big game again, and uh, the Chiefs will beat the Bengals. Wow, 
Yeah, well, I mean, look, again, like anything's possible here. And as far as Mahomes, who knows? Like, he, he, he appears, you know, that was a pretty serious injury. He but, practiced yesterday. Yeah, and they're going to tape him up. They're going to shoot right. him up. He's going to, and so. They said in the media part of practice that he didn't look like it hampered him too much. So take that for as you will. The whole practice isn't obscured in the media, only part of it. Right. And the media said he looked okay, but. So okay. how much how much of that scrambling that he does during a game that improvising how much of that do you think he pra- he, he he's doing in practice especially after having right. suffering that That's injury true. that he did last Sunday not a lot you're not, I mean you're seeing basically him just going through the motions it's right? hard to him hard to make that stuff up too right it's hard to draw up right. what he does in the pocket he's unbelievable he's not necessarily a scrambler but what he can do in the pocket is, is no unreal. he's amazing he's amazing mm-hmm. especially when he can, can contort his arm angle and make throws that not a lot of quarterbacks can make. So, Josh, we already know your pick. Go ahead. So, go ahead and and. Yeah, I mean, I just think I I think the Bengals are basically on in line with destiny here. You know, their offense just looks more explosive, looks better. Obviously, the injury is a factor. I'd take a fully healthy Joe Burrow, uh, especially after watching what they did last week. I also like the over because I think no matter what, Kansas City's going to score a bunch, Cincinnati's going to score a bunch, and forty-eight seems like a pretty easy number to hit. Oh man, guy loves points this weekend. I love it. I mean, I, I, I just don't understand the draw to these, to thinking that we're going to see like a 19-17 final or any of the other crazy numbers. that I've I'm sure well, if there was an over play, 100, you'd take it for the play, <laughs> um, on December 4th, and it was a 27-24 win for Cincinnati. Mahomes only had 223 passing yards that day, and he was at 100% health-wise. Um, so that was, that's, uh, that's 51. That goes over the 48. I would say the Beng- this Bengals team has also improved greatly from that time. Yes, this is a this sure. is a different Bengals offense in particular. But they're gonna they don't have the bulletin board material they had last week. I well, think that's gonna I be a like big that. factor. I was I was oh, like man. that's a big I, factor. In I my decided opinion. I'm going with Cincinnati, and then they start talking all this smack. I don't like <laughs> they, it. They were able to put it up on the bulletin board last week that they were selling tickets to the AFC Championship game in Atlanta, and that they were five and a half point favorites in Vegas. And then Zach Taylor did a great job, and the rest of the coaching staff telling beating that into his guys' heads that. They don't believe in us. Now they're cocky, and now they're favorites, though. or a little bit. Now, yeah, I think they're being cocky. Joe Burrow's been always, always Burrow been a talker, Head though. Stadium, I've heard it called from the Cincinnati. <laughs> yep. Well, well I've heard camp. that too. Actually, yesterday the media did ask uh, one of the Chiefs linebackers what he thought about the oh, Bengals yeah. offense. Willie Gay, right? Yep. And he said uh, nothing. Like they're not special. He doesn't. Yeah. Know. So, so you, everyone's kind of got that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So so what's your pick then? You're going with um, Kansas City. Kansas City yep. with the um, well, right now Minus it's one, moved right? back to Kansas City's one and a half point favorites now. That was one and a half, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah it I'll was as of last night. Yeah, field goal game. Okay, and Josh likes the over, and you also like Kansas City. Bengals, Bengals, I, Bengals to win. Oh, Bengals to, Bengals win, to win, but win. over. Okay, yeah, over. all right. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna even with Patrick Mahomes banged up. I do think it's gonna be a high scoring game, so I'll take the over. Um, but I think the Bengals. I uh, get it done, and uh, I say they win by probably six points. Yeah. Okay, it's uh, it's scary when everybody's in agreement on something like the over. <laughs> That's usually when it goes under. <laughs> um, it's usually when you fade, right? <laughs> but uh, Paul, I'll, I'll go last here. Well, how about you with this game? Yeah, um, Cincinnati all day for one. I mean, look, Mahomes' injury is what Tony Pollard has, minus the fact that Pollard has a broken fibula. I mean, it's pretty much the same. Like Josh said, he's out there on one leg. I, I, don't, I don't care what you shoot him up with. If he just steps wrong one time, he's toast. And that's a different team with Chad Henney out there. And with that in mind, I 
I am probably going to be the lone again wolf on this one. I'm I'm I, I'm taking the under on this game. Oh. I think so. Are you crazy? You think? I, I'm still I'm haven't not, decided. I might wait till the game not, starts to bet this I'm one. So much live betting after you get a look at things for <laughs> yeah, like yeah. five minutes. I mean, I'm not so much undecided. I, I, I mean, I'm taking the under. It's just one of those like, oh. if it shifts for whatever reason, then it gets interesting territory. But yeah, I mean, I I could see this game easily being something like a for what I exactly said yesterday, but like a 21-14 or something like that deal. So yeah. life's too short, Paul, to bet the under. Yeah, I, that, that was my philosophy for a while <laughs> until I understood what it's like to win money as opposed to lose money all the time. So teach their own. <laughs> well, in regard to the over, um, conference championship games, even going 0-2 last year, um, the, the over that is, so both conference championship games went under last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the overs hit nine of the last 13 conference championship games. That includes wow. last year going 0-2. Wow, it's like um, quite the run. Including right? all three of the Chiefs' appearances from January 2019 through 2021. So there's just a little stat for you. Um, Kansas City's defense has allowed 144 rushing yards this year, averaging uh, 7.6 yards per carry. Our that was last week versus the Jags. They gave 144 to the Jags, 7.6 yards a carry. Um, Takeaway giveaway, Cincinnati's defense, uh, 24 interceptions, 18 fumble recoveries. They're plus six. Uh, or actually, no, that's takeaways to giveaways. So, so they're plus six, Kansas City minus three. Kansas City's giving it away three times more. So these are all things that are kind of leaning over and towards Cincinnati. And I, last week when we talked about the Bills game, we broke it down position by position. I think the same thing holds true here. You might take Mahomes over Burrow. You can make an argument for that. But if Bur- if Mahomes isn't 100%, but then look at the other positions, other than tight end where you got Travis Kelsey, um, I give Cincinnati the edge. Running back one with Mixon over Pacquiao or McKinnon. Um, Chaco's been great second half of the year. He has been, he has been great. But if you were starting your team to play, would you take Mixon or? Um, I would probably take Pacheco because he's younger. Oh well, how about one game played played Sunday? Yeah, I'd probably take Joe Mixon. Then. Uh, wide receiver one, Chase versus Juju Suster Smith. I mean, I don't <laughs> even think that's close, right? Yeah, Jamar easily. Wide receiver two, T Higgins versus who? McCole Hartman. Like who even is number two for? I think Kansas? it's Mikol, yeah. No, it's Mar- it's Valdez Scantling. Yeah, Valdez Scantling. Either way, we like T Higgins, right? Well, look, we didn't even think of him because he's just not, <laughs> right. not a number two. But that's been you know the way that Kansas City's rolled over the years. They got Kadarius Tony had, too, though. I like him. Yeah, you gotta like him too. But there's not the firepower that Joe Burrow has, um, and you know they beat him last year. Or last year, Kansas City couldn't get it done. And they had Tyreek Hill. Which so I don't know. This all leads. Plus, the only thing is, like I said, I got that little futures bet on Cincinnati, so it would be a good opportunity to hedge it. But I can't do it since I got to stick with Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's uh, Cincinnati's the best team in the AFC. So my bet is Cincinnati money line, and I'm teasing the over down to forty three and a half, which is at one ninety. Parlay them together; it's plus two hundred. I like first half over nineteen and a half. That's also teased down from I think twenty three and a half, so that's minus two hundred. Second half over flat twenty three and a half. I like those bets. Um, and then I got some player props too, if you want to hear them, and let me know if you agree or disagree with them. I got a lot of t- touchdown player props. I don't expect them all to come in, but if two, if half of them come in, mm-hmm. then uh, it's Fat City. 
<laughs> not, not really, but it would be profitable if two of them came in. So um, it's funny, too. If you do uh, DraftKings like a single-game parlay, the odds actually increase as opposed to what it is for some players just straight up on a touchdown prop. Um, it might change a little bit sometimes, yeah. Right. So with that in mind, you know, uh, well, here's the best example of it. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, any TD score straight up is plus 550. In a single-game parlay, it's plus 900. I mean, that's significant. Wow. So I took Mahomes, any TD, um, it, and I parlayed it with the over 43.5, which is also teased, just to get those better odds. Um, and then I also took Mahomes two touchdowns plus seventy five hundred ten dollars to win seven hundred and fifty. Do I think Mahomes is going to score two touchdowns? Probably not, but I think he'll. I think there's at those odds you almost got to give it a shot because you could get a quarterback sneak and then a scramble. We think it, we already think it's going to be a high scoring game, so there's going to be a lot of action down there by the red zone. Why not? If he's running on one leg, then right. I question everything that we've seen in the last week. Everything. I just don't see him. I don't see him coming out limping around. I see him being taped up. He might have lost a little bit of a step, but I still think he's gonna. We're gonna see Patrick, the same Patrick Mahomes that we're used to seeing. Although, you know, assuming he doesn't take any hits, if he takes a hit or two, that that, that to derail that. If he that does come out looking test. clean, yeah. that'd be Chad Henny time. Anything is possible. <laughs> Who looked great? Um, more player props, real quick. I did the same thing with Jamar Chase. Parlayed. Uh, Teased over down to 43.5 with a Jamar Chase anytime touchdown. That's plus 60. Um, then straight up, T. Higgins anytime touchdown plus 190. Jarek McKinnon anytime touchdown plus 140. And the reason I go with all these touchdowns is because we thought the game was going over, right? So if we think it's going over, we think there's going to be scoring, might as well do some more touchdown props. Um, and in that vein, I also have both kickers over one and a half field goals. Uh, plus 100 for McPherson, minus 105 for Butker. Uh, the only time that McPherson hasn't had over one and a half field goals in a game, seven games this year. So that's more than a coin cost that that'll come in. Butker is only five times. So that's like five games all year he's had less than two field goals. So I got I like that. I like those. Um, bets there and so in, in that vein I also took both kickers over seven and a half points and that's plus 110 each so I've taken all these scoring props because we think it's going to go over so you know you can fall flat on your fist game goes up yeah. under it could fall flat on your face and then finally Sam Hubbard they're offering over 0 0.75 sacks which is a weird number but obviously a half you get a half a sack or a full sack right so um, that's plus 245. Now, he hasn't had any sacks in his last four games, so I think he might be due um, six and a half sacks on the season. Um, of course, he had that huge touchdown return mm -hmm. last year, which, yeah, by the way, player. the only Cincinnati defensive touchdown of the year. Mm -hmm. wow. um, and then Jesse Bates, over five and a half tackles and assists at minus 110. He had eight tackles and assists when they played on December 4th against the Chiefs, so why not? So that's uh, that's where I'm going with it, and um, I'm not fully confident on any of it this week. 
And here's another little stat I don't know if everyone realizes, but Joe Burrow's never lost to Patrick Mahomes. He's 3-0 and in his career. Yep. Um, I think So, like I said, I think that'll continue, but that's something to kind of monitor. Not many quarterbacks or not many teams are able to beat Patrick Mahomes in, in that offense. Those are all field goal games, too, so they're all close, too. Yep. And it's in Kansas City, and it's going to be cold and a little windy, which that also worries me a little bit about the over. They're talking not like gusty, but 10, 15-mile-per-hour winds. 20 degrees at kickoff. Yeah. Midwest cold. Should worry people about that about that ankle. Yeah, that's another. That, that Should worry people be, about that ankle. But yeah. it's uh, nothing's easy. Nothing's easy. So let's see. Hope the games are good. Hope they're enjoyable. Hope fun to watch. I'm going to plan on sitting in front of the TV for both of them on Sunday. Just made some nachos. Ooh. Some popcorn. Love that. <laughs> um, we need to uh, we need to settle this. Uh, other long-standing debate here that's outside the football space here. Um, Sabres jerseys. So about, what was it, like a week ago, we were having this conversation uh, here in the office about what Sabres jerseys, because obviously the Sabres look like a team, finally. Yeah, they won again they last night, five like games a, in a row. Look like a real team now. Um, so we got talking because people are seeing more of them. Maybe their the current iteration of their of their jersey their sweater is not the best. Uh, so Paul, pull up this graphic. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a little debate here right now because I know I think Kyle and I disagree pretty pretty firmly on what is the best or the worst. I think Jim has Jim. You like the older iteration better. Let's start with you. What's your favorite out of the six up there? Well, old um, is new, right? This year's jerseys don't look pretty much similar. different than they yeah. did in 1970, and so that's what I like, the traditional. But like I said, I don't think the Sabres have ever had great jerseys. I think that, that shade of blue and yellow is just weak-looking colors. Um, but I do. I'm a traditionalist, and so I, I like their current jerseys or the originals in the 70s and 80s. All right, Kyle? Well, I do think the royal blue now is better than that like weird-looking kind of like navy dark blue oh, that they used 100%. to wear. Yeah. But um, I like the goat heads, the red and black goat head jerseys the best that they wore in the, you know, from the 90s till 2005. I think they look so clean right now, and I wish they'd wear them more. They only wore them eight times this year. And I th- believe, Nate, they went 7-1 and one in those jerseys. Yeah, and they scored, what, six goals in five I've, of those I've, games? The only oh, yeah. game that I wasn't there, right? Yep. They, only, they don't score six goals. So, I mean, so, they course. play well. They played well when they wore them back then. Um, I don't know. I think they should wear them more. But. What a Dowling say they says he feels evil when they wear them, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they look mean. Right. Like, they look awesome. That is, to me, the goat head from the 90s and right up until 2005. That is the best uh, iteration of the Sabres jersey. I prefer the white over the black. I don't. Um, I know Kyle likes the the black back. I would take better. the white too, though. They, those do look. They nice. don't wear the white, yeah. They wear the blacks. They stand out so much more. You know, I think the when I look at the present iteration and I look at the original, you know, the they're, they're similar, but just like the, you know, what do you call them the the slugs? The slug. Two thousand six. You don't know what's going on. Like you, you, you just don't know what's going on. Like the the only jersey out of those six options that to me is very clear what, what team you're looking at is the Goathead. The others, you yeah. have to squint a little bit. There's, like, more going on. Yeah, but they have the Sabres. I don't Sabres mind the color though. scheme. The, like, the current logo has the Sabres, what they are, in right. the logo. The Goathead yeah. doesn't have that. that so that's, that's the only true. thing I have to say to that. That's true. Yeah. And they also, the, the, current, the colors remind me a little bit about the Chiefs from Slapshot. <laughs> you know? 
I just love the royal blue and the gold. I disagree with you there, Jim. I, I think they're really good colors. Um, what Kyle said, I agree with that, too. We know that, that old jersey, the second jersey they've worn between 2013 and 2020, that dark blue, I don't like that at all. That almost like a no. navy blue almost kind of, I guess. Yeah. Um, I like the royal blue and gold a lot. Um, the goat heads are, are, of course, an era in Sabres hockey. That's They're really good when they wore those jerseys. Um, but I still I like the current jerseys the best, I think. Would I really like the royal blue. Would be fitting then if they brought them back now since the team is turning the corner. Yeah. Go back to it. Or if they make the playoffs this year, would they be able to wear them in the playoffs? I don't think so. If I they could, that, would be, that would be pretty cool. I don't if think they, anyone wears alternate jerseys in the playoffs, right? I don't know. I think anyone wears I don't know. Jersey. Speaking of uh, alternates, let's pull up those alternates. And if we had to pick one of these to go into regular use, which one would you be snagging? Kyle, what, what's your feeling on this one? Um, I know I kind of talked bad about it, but based on these, um, I would take the current reverse retro one. I think that logo looks the cleanest. Um, I did like the 50th anniversary ones, but now that I look at the it, old ones, yeah. I don't know why I liked it. I'm not really a fan, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, I don't know. Maybe it looks better in person, but yeah, I, I would say the current one, uh, reverse retro ones look the best. Jim. Yeah. I like the 2013, 15 with the, uh, dark yellow is the main color and the darker blue on the shoulders really? there. Um, hmm. that's interesting. That to me is the one that stands out is. Well, yeah, alternate jerseys should be um, loud and shocking and, and a little unsettling. They're, yeah. they're the turd burgers, the yellow ones. Yep. Yeah, there's stuff that <laughs> you would wear. You, you will only wear them as alternates because they aren't good enough to wear every day. But, you know, to really shake it up. Um, I like all the alternates, actually. Uh, but that would be the one I would choose for my alternate jersey. The current reverse retro to me seems like the one that could most easily be rocked in night in night out i like the 2021 though because i like that logo they don't use that look that the different right. the different swords logo yeah. i think that's cool to have on on your alternate jersey to be a little bit different yeah why sure. not why not you know like they gotta throw in the buffalo because they're buffalo but that's the city name not the mascot it's not like they're the right. bills the bills a buffalo a bill is a bison right so that's why you'll see a buffalo bill um but the buffalo sabers they're the sabers they're not they're not, um, you know, a large prairie-dwelling mammal. <laughs> They're sabers. Yeah, so that's true. the only, of all the jerseys we looked at, that one and the 2000-2006 the alternate jerseys are the only ones that really feature the sabers over the buffalo. Paul, what, you're a big uni guy over there. I know yeah. you like the current reverse retros, right? I do. I like the fact that they're clean, for one. I know... Uh, we, as a maybe group consensus, don't enjoy the white short that pairs with the sweater. But yeah, they wear the blue I, helmets too, right, Kyle? Yeah, I'd I just, like them to go all white. It's just it's clean, it's crisp. I mean, I look if I were a Sabres fan, I personally would feel like I'd rather have those be the primaries. I think, in all honesty. That's Is there any other jerseys thing. that you're jealous of in the NHL? Who's your favorite NHL uh, jersey? Favorite? Oh, that's a tough one. I like what Winnipeg wore last night, Kyle, or Paul, or Jim. I don't know if anyone caught that. I like what they wore. Yeah. They wore kind of their alternate yeah, set of, I think. Um, but my favorite? Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. I haven't really thought. I about just think it. from a from a classic standpoint, the Ranger jersey. You know, going across the going across the chest. I yep. think that's just a great classic traditional jersey. Probably yeah. that one off the Rangers top of my head. Rangers are one of my favorites too. I think yep. the Flyers for the same reason, and the Boston Bruins, and those original. Yeah, original eight, sixteen. Uh, yep. Six, you know, 
that haven't changed that much. Mm-hmm. Are there any NHL jerseys that are that busy though? I'm trying to think of any that yeah. stand out as being like just a disaster. Arizona, on that front. I was going to say Arizona, but that's why I like Arizona. Is honestly, uh, yeah, they Arizona's kind of brought crazy. back the more cartoony coyote. What about said, okay. Vancouver? Doesn't Vancouver have some like? Oh yeah, I think ones? they do. Yeah. yeah, the stadium jersey just came out for uh, next year's Winter Classic. Did you see those? Yeah, Washington and um, Carolina. Carolina, yeah, yeah, those are interesting. Hmm. Hey, one more thing before we just get off sports, and, and I assume we're gonna take it to a commercial. Um, the beginning of this year, the two t- top teams to win it all in the preseason, if you're gonna do a Super Bowl future bet. Where the Bills were number one at plus mm-hmm. six hundred, the favorite in the whole NFL, all thirty teams, Bills number one, Tampa Bay number two. Yep. So they it's the first time since two thousand fifteen that neither of the top two teams made a conference championship game. So that's something that's a little odd. And uh, also both conference championship games haven't closed under a three point spread since nineteen ninety eight. And only three times total in a Super Bowl era, so um, it's not. It's us, usually at this stage, at least one of the conference games has like a heavy favorite. So that also, all four of these teams could win the Super Bowl. It's like really up for grabs this year. It should be really fun Sunday of football. Yeah, that's what makes it the best. I mean, so many years we just kind of knew Tom Brady was going to be there, and you know they're probably going to win another Super Bowl. But now. Right. It's a toss-up, and that's what makes this league fun again. It's yeah. not the same team over and over. And you guys might be too young to remember the era of NFC dominance in the Super Bowl where every year the NFC would just win the Super Bowl by 40 points. I mean, it was uh, it was unbelievable how much better the NFC was than the AFC for close to you know probably a good 10 to 15-year stretch in the 80s and 90s uh, with, you know, whether it's uh, – Giants or the Bears, they they just always won. You could set your clock to it, but those days are gone, obviously. And so, so with that being said, just real quick, Super Bowl champ out of these four teams, who you got to win to win it all in three weeks? Uh, the Eagles, Easy. Cincinnati, for Cincinnati for me too. Paul, Forty um, ers especially after Cincinnati lost last year. I think uh, they get right back and they get it done this year. Hungry. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I, if I had, if you had to pick one, it would be Cincinnati. Love it. So almost, almost full of greens here. Like it. Hey, that is actually going to do it for this edition of Finger Lakes today. Thanks for joining us. We will be back on Monday at 9 a.m. Until then, remember to check out FingerLakes1.com or the FingerLakes1.com app for the latest news, weather, sports, and more. For the whole team here, have a great weekend.